The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. With joy today, we continue to explore the intersection of Christ and culture, Commonwealth Avenue, and our Commonwealth of Heaven, especially at the crossroads of humility and service. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
let us pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Please be seated. Beloved, you are invited during the Kyrie to offer your own prayers of confession. Our age, as much as and perhaps more than any other, hungers for the language of contrition, longs for the spirit of compunction, yearns for the courage of confession. From the head of the Charles out to the heart of the country, week by week, we sing the one thing needful in a time of various forms of ruin, a desire for pardon. Let us pray.
worship the God of pardon and peace. You know God to be a pardoning God. This is the gospel. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. A lesson from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that this, the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work, now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of the Lord.
responsively verses from Psalm 105 with the Antiphon. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works God has done, the miracles and the judgments uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. There God brought Israel out with silver and gold, and there was no one amongst their tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad that they for dread of them had fallen upon it. God spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light by night. They asked and brought prayers, and gave them food from heaven and abundance. And opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For God remembered his, God's holy promise and Abraham and Sarah, God's servants. So God people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. God gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the wealth of the peoples that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. And now, people of God, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Glory to you, O Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out, about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ.
have this mind among you, which was in Christ Jesus. In the, in the advent of Christ Jesus, anxiety is eclipsed by joy. Fear is overcome with thanksgiving. And all this happens in a mode of service. Thirty years ago, James Didis explored the ranges of redemptive reality and community life in a forgotten little book titled, When the People Say No. Thirty years ago, a then-veteran, now-deceased, ever-kindly minister had, I cleanly recall, recommended Didis, but I had bigger fish to fry back then, or so I then thought. No, I only caught up to Didis this very past summer when a friend flipped me a copy of his book saying, you might want to read the last page. I read the last page. I read the first page. I read all the pages in between. He was so right. Our lessons read today, Philippians and Matthew, are about service, about ministry. Ministry is service. The word means service. We are taught here in these sacred pages to hunt for life, to find real life, to have the experience of being really alive in ministry, in service. This morning's readings invite you to hear such a call, to think a bit about service. At Marsh Chapel, we are expectantly awaiting the advent of another generation of 20-year-olds who are captured by the mind of Christ and enchanted by the prospect of service in his name. You can see some of them in the nave this morning. You can hear some of them at the lectern and pulpit this morning. You can feel their presence in this sacred spot this morning. I pity those who do not see, hear, and feel come and be with us next week. They're before us. They're coming like the glory of the morning on the wave. They are wisdom to the mighty. They are honor to the brave. But if this is so, if we are awaiting such a calling to service, we shall need to be direct and honest with them and with ourselves about what service entails. Hence, Didis' book may help us. That is, service requires a willingness to be immersed in community life. And community life involves endless contention and intractable difference. You heard it here first. Endless contention and intractable difference. Family, church, city, town, university, county, community. Real life means conflict. Now, we misread conflict, but Didis and others reread it to our healing help. He reads that is conflict in communities with an historical and a critical eye and with a sense of the grace that underlies honest disappointment. We can do so as well. That is, this ancient teacher of 30 years ago, Didis, picks up the disappointment that you know in life all too well. You can read it in the newspaper the last several days. You can feel it 
along the streets of this city. Anyone in public life and leadership, including clergy, not only clergy, not mainly clergy, but including clergy, knows the disappointment involved in service. And here is some good news. Hold it for the future. Look at disappointment. Look at it with a reverence for the meaning that underlies rejection. That is, beloved, when challenge and conflict come to you in your community, in your leadership, in your job, in your home, take a moment and recall the gospel encourages you and me not to slay opposition, but to join it, not to defeat it, but be to, to be submerged by it, and so to discover the potential in the word no, the potential of yes underlying it, to find the potential in resistance for ministry. That is, leaders, actual and virtual, among you. I ask you to think about this. When people say no, what are they saying? What are the people saying when, one way or another, they say no. What are they saying when they accidentally miss meetings, when they sometimes forget to give, when they refuse to tithe, when they oppose improvements, when they withhold their support, or in this season, when they withhold their vote, resist new thoughts, resist new ideas, resist new moves? What are they saying? They're saying something more than no. They're not saying yes. But they're saying something about their experience and about their hope. It takes a big dose of courage to swallow rejection and to hunt around in resistance for what may happen when people meet in real shared partnership based on real shared struggle. That is, when the church opens its doors. And that swallowing, friends called to service, friends engaged in ministry, friends growing to leadership size, that swallowing is the beginning of wisdom. It may be that this attitude lies behind Paul's message in Philippians. Paul notes the resistance that some have to his trip into prison. He's in the slammer. Not everyone finds Paul's stay in the calaboose spiritually uplifting. Some do. Some, in fact, do see the gospel, as he does, advanced through imprisonment, but some do not. Some just see Paul being Paul, always spoiling for a fight, always on the edge of conflict, always polemical Paul. They preach Christ but denigrate Paul, these others, or denigrate Paul in the way they preach Christ. What then? Endless contention. Intractable difference, Didis reminds us. To be in service is to know the most searing grief and abandonment, and abandonment daily and profoundly. If the leader can let go and open up, then perhaps the people can too. There is nurture and direction to be found in the wilderness. There's a message in the mess. There's manna in the mania. But you cannot make full commitment unless you risk the certain grief that lies within it. That is, Paul 
hears the people, and he hears them say no. Elsewhere, later in the letter, he indulges the highly satisfactory response, one we may admit we too would readily and lustily employ, of attack and battle. Chapter 3 begins, Beware the dogs, the evil workers, the mutilators. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But here, no, here, Paul hears the no and subverts it by being subject to it. He finds the common interest, Christ. He sticks to the common interest, the advance of the gospel. Let us imagine what may also have been in the air, though we cannot prove it. Let us imagine that Paul decides not at this point to parry. Imagine that rather he listens hard to this no. He listens to the hurt people feel when their leader is in stir and up the river, in the joint, in the tank, doing time in prison as Paul is. People are people. Paul allows himself to feel this. Imagine that he further intuits some fear. Philippians is largely about joy eclipsing fear. He can readily see that some may expect that they too will end up as he has ended up, in the calaboose, in the big house, in the gray bar hotel. And they have children, they have spouses, they have responsibilities and vulnerabilities. They too are in prison. They have their own kinds of captors and leg irons. And maybe Paul, still testy, can appreciate this and so grudgingly admits that they have a point and that they too are part of the struggle for lasting good. I think most of us do not get this far down the service trail. I know I have my limits to affirming people who call names, who put false name tags upon others, who, or in some cases, who resolutely resist what I mean, I know, I mean, I know, I know, is the right way forward. Maybe you do the same. Hence logjam, perhaps conflict. But also the opportunity missed to enter into another's life, real life, real pain, real soul. So did us. No is hardly more articulate than ouch and often means much the same thing. No, like ouch, usually signals pain and fear. It is a genuine groan. It is so inarticulate, so lacking in clues as to what is painful and feared that the only way to minister to it is through it. The minister enters into the experience of the groaning no, sharing it as a partner rather than fighting it as the adversary into which it is tempting to be cast. The minister tries to feel what it is like to be another person. Now in the church, ministers are appointed by bishops or located by committees, but you know the real assignments and locations come not thus but daily in places others put or want to put the minister. I call this the name tag syndrome. Here it comes. Visit me. Find me a job. Pray over the canon at the, on Memorial Day. Join the Rotary. Come to my recital. Address our class. 
Give the grace at the Father and Son dinner, and please wear a clerical collar, and please keep it brief, and oh, we will cover your dinner. It is easy and tempting to respond either in compliance or in defiance. But service, the experience of really being alive, lies neither in compliance nor in defiance. It lies in accepting the place offered at the table and then engaging in conversation, perhaps, about why the invitation was the way it was and why it was so important or needed or meaningful, if it was. It is from the locations that people give you that you will have the chance to give people something meaningful and healing. If they place you in a high pulpit far off and way up there, 15 feet above contradiction, the ministry will have to begin there. It need not end there. If they place you in a rough parsonage with a leaky roof and a long, sad history, the ministry will have to begin there, but it should not end there. If they place you at the family table as guest and as host and as minister, you can start where you are but you need not end there. In 1982, one bitter cold Saturday night, we were invited to dinner. Saturday night always carries a proleptic anxiety over Sunday morning, especially as in the case of this remembered clear winter night on the Canadian border when the morning sermon was not yet finished, was still in gestation, was still seven months away from birth, but birth was only a few hours away. The family dinner, it turned out, was an extended family dinner that had been planned and prepared. Beautiful event. Three generations hosted by grandma and grandpa. And after dinner, the dozen of us retired to the family room of the big country house when, over dessert, the purpose of the evening arrived. Because Grandpa wanted Grandson to be a Christian, to believe, to be confirmed, to attend church, and wanted the new preacher to effect this, to explain faith, to defend belief, to convert the heathen, then and there, right then, right there. Now it needs emphasis that these all were the handsomest and ruddiest and best of good people. They had a location into which they had invited a minister, their minister. And if ministry was to start, it would have to start there, which in fact it did over the next couple of hours. The minister answered what questions he could. He did not complain about the ambush, but he did identify it as an ambush. Then he also asked his questions of the family and for the family, questions of histories, and systems, and silences, and yes, identified patients. And by 11 p.m., the work was done, but not the sermon. It was a sneak attack, to be sure, but it was also, and sincerely, truly, an invitation to partnership. Leaving in a huff, in defiance, would have communicated boundaries but would not have been service. Answering questions but asking none, compliance 
would have communicated sincerity but not authenticity and would not have been serviced. Exhausted and enervated, the minister and young family drove home through the crisp snow and black, beautiful, cold night, the temperature 20 below zero on the Fahrenheit scale and morning just hours away. Beloved, leaders, future leaders, you cannot leave the name tags on your shirt or back as inevitable as their placement is. They do need removal. But you also cannot predict where real responsive service or ministry will emerge. People only hear you when they're moving toward you. People only hear you when they're moving toward you. And they are moving toward you when you are located near to them. So when you're invited to become the chaplain of the fire department, accept. When you are asked to pray at the blue and gold banquet, accept. When you are encouraged to join the country club, accept if you can afford it. When you are invited to Saturday dinner, accept. When you are called to come to the barn for a talk, accept. When you are asked to visit the family burial ground, accept. When you are invited to speak at Christmas for the service club, go. When you are encouraged, not so subtly, to visit Aunt Tilly, make the visit. These are overtures, questions, hopes, addressed to you and to who knows who else. Your response? At your service. Didis. To be a minister is to know the theological and maybe even the sociological and psychological significance of baptism and to be right about that and able to communicate it meaningfully, yet still be willing, for the time being, to give all that up and to accept the misplacement of being called in merely and casually to baptize the new baby. Such misplacement is accepted in order to have a place in the life of the parents. And the only place they have available right then for the minister is that one. Maybe it's like having to be born in a stable because there's no room in the inn, or like riding a donkey and fitting into people's hosannaed expectations of Messiah, even when you know better. Once in place, though misplaced, then ministry proceeds in the new place, which feels like no place, which is located and momentarily bounded by the parent's urgent need to have that baby baptized. Ministry is to accept the misplacement so as to open it up, to address it, to come to find it, good news, replaced. Beloved, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to stand, to sit, or to come forward to kneel at the altar, if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together the call to prayer, 
Lead me, Lord. pray together, may the Holy Spirit bring to our minds and hearts all those situations and people who need God's healing. May the Holy Spirit teach us to pray in solidarity with those who rejoice and those who mourn. We bring to mind and heart your creation, life-giving God, its stunning beauty, bountiful provision, and mysterious complexity. Thank you for the blessing of nature's abundance. We ask for wisdom in stewarding the Earth's resources and protecting it for future generations. We bring to mind and heart those people close to us who support and love us, with whom we share history and hope. Thank you, loving God, for the blessing of their presence in our lives. We ask for your love to overflow in us, that we may serve and honor them in Christ. We bring to mind and heart situations of painful conflict. Forgiving God, unify people and all of creation together in wholeness and peace. Guide those in leadership throughout the world in peacemaking. And give us the gift of reconciling love in our daily lives. We bring to mind and heart those who need healing, who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Healing God, comfort those who are hungry, lonely, or without a place to call home. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, and help us to be your tangible presence in their sorrow. We bring to mind and heart those who wait in vigil by beds of loved ones, those who have died, and those who grieve for them. God of all comfort, we commend them to your embrace of love. 
gathering all these prayers together, these petitions spoken aloud, and all the prayers that we hold in our hearts, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We have a place reserved for you, dear budding servants. We have a place reserved for you just now, several places in fact, in the red books at the end of your pew. If you would let us know who you are so that we can get to know one another better, we would most greatly appreciate it. We have a place reserved for you downstairs in the marsh room following the service where dinner is cooking even as we speak. We have a place for you reserved on October 4th at the Howard Thurman Center from 10 a.m. to noon, where Catherine Kennedy, the director of the Howard Thurman Center, will be sharing with the Marsh Chapel's women's gathering. We have a place for you reserved right here next Sunday, where the first of the Bach Cantata series will be offered by the Marsh Chapel Choir under the direction of Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett this coming Sunday. Now walk in love as Christ loved us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
glorifying God, just as all of us came together for this worship, and just as we give our resources for this collective offering, so let our hearts be shaped that we can stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind and one service, unified in your love. Amen. God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 